Give me a drink. Last week, I was at a residency for a graduate class I was taking in counseling skills. And people were like asking me, how was it? And so I reflected and I was like, you know, I know it was like school or whatever. I said, but I felt like I was on a retreat. Because each day we, you'd pair up with a different student and we would kind of practice counseling each other. And so I basically got free counseling every day. <laughs> and I was talking about all these things and, and I was, you know, one of the sessions they were like, talk about something with strong emotion. And I was like, what? what? And I'm like, oh, I'll just talk about this. And then like all this emotion came out of me and I was like, oh my gosh, like I was receiving healing that I didn't know I needed, that, that simply by opening up and letting it out, not hiding anything, not holding anything back, it was so liberating. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well and he, he asks her for a drink. And she's thinking, oh, he wants a drink of water. But what he's really thirsting for is her heart. And it's interesting that he goes from talking about water, and then he asks her this question. Uh, go and call your husband. Which is like, what? I thought we were talking about water. You know, now you're talking about a husband? And there's a couple of reasons there. One is, the well is the social area where people gathered and talked. You know, the women would get together in the morning and talk. But the woman isn't there in the morning. She's in the middle of the day because she feels perhaps it seems too ashamed, too embarrassed about her life to be there with the other woman. But also the, the well is the place where in antiquity, that's where you'd meet other people. So, you know, you'd look for a husband there and a husband would look for a wife there. So it's the place where you encounter the one you're seeking to love. And so it's actually very fitting that Jesus asks about her husband, and he, he knows the answer. She says, well, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, well, you, you've had five, and the one you have now is not your husband. But Jesus is actually proposing something to her, that he who has come to meet her at the well desires that he would be the one who would espouse her in love that he would be the seventh, which in scripture is the number of covenant, the number of God's faithfulness. That God who created her for love wishes to be the one who will fulfill her deepest desire for love. This encounter, it reminds me, it echoes in my mind of the encounter of Adam and Eve after they sinned, that they felt ashamed, and so they went and they hid. They, they hid from God like this woman is hiding from everybody else, going when she thinks no one will be there. And God goes to Adam and Eve and says, where are you? And you could think they could respond to him, you're God, you should know where we are. And he's like, I, I know where you're out. I know where you are. It's kind of like sometimes people say, like, why do I need to tell God? Doesn't God already know what I want? It's like, God knows what you want, and he knows 
how important it is for you to say it. That there's something about the human person that finds it liberating to, to bring to light all that's on our heart, especially to bring to light all those things that we feel ashamed of. And so God invites Adam and Eve to come. Jesus invites this woman to, to open up her heart and her life. And I think we're, we're afraid, like, if I, if I bring this stuff to light, you know, God, if I bring this, what's on my heart to God, he's going to be, gosh, he'll be angry or he'll be disappointed in me or something. But the truth is that God is always love. 1 John 4 tells us, God can't be anything other than love. God can't be anything other than mercy, than peace, than patience. You know, in the 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, kind, all those things. That's who God is. And I think what, what shame does to us is it, it darkens our thoughts and we project that darkness on God. That brokenness that I feel, I feel like God's just going to like poke it when really he wants to heal it. I think that's why in God's wisdom he gave us the sacrament of reconciliation. You know, sometimes other Christians will say, well, how come, how come you have to confess to a priest? But if you think about it in this light, where else can you go and bear your most shameful things and in there be known and loved? The woman at the well has this experience today that, that she runs off and she says, come, see, come meet a man who told me everything I've done. Whereas before, that was a place of shame and embarrassment. Like, I don't want anybody to know what I've done. But because she had the courage and you know, openness and she encountered, because she encounters Jesus, that suddenly he knows everything I've done becomes a place of of receiving the fullness of his love. God knows everything I've done. He knows me and he loves me. He accepts me. I, for me, confession there is, it's like the experience of the prodigal son when, when he comes back home and he's thinking, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Treat me as a servant. And the father runs to him and embraces him and puts the family ring on his finger to say, no, you." You're always a son. That no amount of distance or dirt or disgrace could take away your goodness. That's what God desires for all of us to know. And, and how, do we, how do we receive that goodness? How do we open up ourselves to receive his love and mercy? By first letting him drink of all that is on our hearts. I think sometimes when people say, like, you know, my, I haven't really been praying much, and I just, and, if, and then we kind of peel a layer back, and they say, well, I just, I'm not happy with what God's doing in my life, or usually it comes back to, I'm not happy with what's happening, and I don't want to face it, and I don't want to let anybody into it. But when we have the, the courage to do that, that we encounter the God who's been thirsting for us and, and thirsting to want to heal us, to quench what we're looking for. 
I was listening to a talk recently on shame, and this psychologist was talking about how, you know, as a counselor, you know, when somebody comes and, and they're feeling ashamed, which we all could feel at times, he says, this person, someone who's feeling ashamed has already beat themselves up a lot. That the last thing they need from anybody, that's what they're expecting too. Like, you're going to be mad at me too. You're going to be disappointed in me. And so this counselor says, no, what they, what they need is, is unconditional positive regard. That they need someone to say, like, it's okay. Well, but I, I, I fell into this sin, and that's really bad. And, and his response was, well, you probably needed that. All sin is a coping mechanism. And your pain was probably so bad that you felt like, I, I have to have this coping mechanism to, to cover my pain. And so even this, this woman who's had five husbands, that you could imagine Jesus looking at her and saying, you know, that's probably what you needed to try to cope with the pain you've been experiencing. Is it okay? Well, it's understandable. But Jesus says, now I, I want to give you something better. I want, I want to heal that brokenness. I want to heal what's under the sin. That's why people will come to me confession and they're like, well, I, I did this sin and I'm so bad, it's so bad. And I'm like, I, I want to know what's under that that led us to turn to that coping mechanism. Does that make sense? We all have different coping mechanisms. God wants to heal what's under that and teach us to instead to cope by turning to him and to let the divine physician, the healer, in to us. Encountering his love, it changes everything. We had, so we had our student retreat two weeks ago and there was a young lady sharing with us that this year she's been on a journey where she's not baptized. And she was invited to come to the Newman Center to a social, and she's like, wow, like, there's something here. And so she began to continue walking that journey, and it's led her through the sacrament preparation process, and then she went on the retreat two weeks ago. And she left the retreat, like, on fire, like, oh my gosh, like, God loves me so much. This is awesome. And then she, she drove to Phoenix with some people where they... Um, they presented themselves to the bishop as the elect to be baptized, and, and, and she had like all these great conversations on the way down and the way up. She's like, we just talked about God and all sorts of stuff for hours. And she, she came back and she talked to her roommate for a couple more hours about God, and then she looked to her roommate and she said, can we pray the rosary? She's like, can you teach me how to pray the rosary? So her roommate's like, sure, you know? Um, taught her the rosary. In the morning, they woke up, Monday morning, and. And she said, can, you, can, you, can we pray the Liturgy of the Hours? Can we pray morning prayer? Like, her thirst could not be satiated because she had found the infinite God. That she wanted more and more of what was satisfying her versus all the other things that we try in our lives. That we all drink from different wells. But the one who can truly quench our thirst the one who waits for us to come to him with what's on our hearts, to give him a drink of our pain and all that's there, is Jesus who waits for us and loves us.